Welcome to the first episode of Flock of Seagulls. I'm your regular host, Riley, and with me, as always, is Michael. Hello. And I thought for the first episode, for the inaugural episode, we can maybe talk a little bit about why Seagull? Uh, That's a big question. Yeah. Uh, Why are we doing this? Why are we putting people through this? And I think you made a very good point earlier in the development of this podcast, which is he is probably the most enigmatic actor that's working today we really don't know much about him or even that um everything we do know about him almost seems contradictory or seems questionable or the legitimacy or the truth of it is almost impossible to verify Mm -hmm. yeah it's just the, the more you find out it just seems like instead of answers it's just more and more questions <laughs> and, and again like i mean like who else can you say that about you know yeah oh brad pitt punched someone in the face okay that's you know that, that's what regular people do <laughs> regular people don't have reality shows about them being police officers and then they uh release seven straight to video action films in a year yeah right? it's, it's crazy two television shows about being a police officer yeah. one real one scripted the first season completely written by himself. And this is the other thing that I really want to dig into is unlike a lot of people who you might uh, like actors like Nick Cage, other people who are constantly on sort of good, bad movies or bad, good movies or whatever. Seagal has like of the 50 movies that we're going to explore in this, you know, forever running podcast until we run out of things or he dies or whatever, which can't be too far away. My (laughs) God. Um, But he's written like, probably 30 to 35 percent of these films like it's a very direct translation of what he is thinking onto the page onto the screen because then he's acting it out like it's i don't think there's anyone else who has done that so often and has been so almost egregiously bad about it exactly the the, how he has lived his life as an actor like it's as enigmatic as his films like, if there is any actor working right now that is more deserving, you know, delving into both his professional and personal life, I mean, I can't think of one. Like, it's just like, I haven't seen a Steven Seagal film uh, that came out after, I don't know, the mid-90s. But despite that fact, I am constantly exposed to Steven Seagal-related material, whether it's Tom Segura doing a bit about his reality show, whether it's his reality show, uh, his involvement with Anderson Silva in the UFC. Like, I mean, like his life outside of acting is arguably more exciting than him punching and kicking and breaking arms in the film. If that's not enigmatic, I don't know what the fuck is. Well, let's just do like a rundown right now. The things that he's at least said that he is, which is an actor, a lawman. MMA trainer, Buddhist deity, Russian citizen, we know that to be true, uh, CIA agent, DEA agent. Aikido master. Aikido master. Oh, musician. And trust us, we will get into the music at some point. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, it, it'd be nice if we could license the rights somehow. And, oh, uh, God, you know how incredible. tough it was to try and find a Steven Seagal MIDI file? <laughs> <laughs> they just don't exist. Um, but there's just, there's so much, like there's, there's two TV shows. Uh, um, there's an SNL episode which got him banned from ever appearing on SNL again. 54 films, at least six coming out in 2017. It's an embarrassment of riches. 
Hey, what better way to start off than with his final film of 2016, Contract to Kill, which we watched with insert guest name here. <laughs> um, and here you go, first episode. Woo! Woo! be your elevator pit for contract to kill like now uh, stop there that's that's good <laughs> <laughs> you've hit gold i mean like like uh it certainly is tapping into a lot of buzz shit mm-hmm. like uh the way that it's, it's kind of synthesized uh, and sort of like uh combined is a little dubious but I mean, like everyone loves narco terrorist stuff. Uh, everyone loves, you know, Arab terrorist stuff. And so it's just like, you know, like, why not mash the two together? So like Seagal is a retired CIA and DEA agent. Amongst other things, too, I think. Amongst I like, I'll say this. Here's the thing. And we kind of talked about it before, but. Like, I really feel like that opening exposition was really just designed to be so fucking confusing that, like, the ultimate goal was just to be like, okay, he just has a contract literally to kill. Like, this guy has done so much stuff that we just can't question it because it's so confusing to unravel well, that. You know what's kind of funny? Like, that opening scene, uh, you could make the argument that it undermines the very title because that opening scene is going to such obtuse lengths to show that he's like a freelance kind of guy and that he does not have a contract. And so yeah, it's kind of like, like, I'm not part of this. I'm not part of that. Like, you know, uh, you've gone rogue or whatever. But you and guys so, aren't even talking about the opening scene. That's not the opening uh, scene the of the film. Oh, scene. yeah. Those. Uh, why were there subtitles in that scene again? Like, OK, so uh, was it it's, just that they were apparently just I the, the movie opens with two drug dealers coming out of a mansion talking about how they are Mexican and they are dealing well, with speaking ISIS. English with English subtitles. Despite yes. I really didn't find their English that hard to follow. Well, they were improperly mic'd, I think was the issue. And then as they're leaving, a one guy spits as they're leaving, they are gunned down on the property that they're coming from by bodyguards of the main bad guy who will eventually be revealed to be the main bad guy of this film whose name I can't remember is it it's not important yeah it's not important but then those two guys are gunned down on the front lawn of this property and these people just put their calling cards on their bodies which is like a Mexican cartel playing card or something like that then they just go back inside like who are they trying to warn if they just gun down two people on their own compound. Now, I think you've noticed a common theme in this movie, which is uh, gaping plot holes. <laughs> well, that like I think it's that like they talk about it before that uh, the Mexican cartel is trying to like secure a sort of drug transpo stronghold in what is it Istanbul? I think. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So the, I, was the city even specified? I just remember hearing yeah, just Turkey. Period. A lot. Istanbul. Well, yeah. sure it's Istanbul. Istanbul yeah. Okay. Is part of so it. So I think that that opening scene is in Istanbul, and it's cartel guys killing people from Istanbul. 
I thought they were killing go-betweens from Mexico to Istanbul. Like they were like reps hmm. coming out to broker something, and the guy's just a mean, evil guy, and you can tell because he walks in slow motion. And this is and, probably the first sorry, issue of this movie, yeah. which is there are at least three different nationalities at play, but everybody besides Steven Seagal is played by an Eastern European I actor. want to get to the central shitty paradox of this movie for me, which is I've never seen a movie where I was so confused about what's going on, yet so much of the movie was just straight-up plot exposition. <laughs> like, that if you're going to waste that much time just, like, going over what's happening and, like, why you're in the situation, at least it should make sense so that when stuff happens, at least then I'm like, okay... I'm contextualized. I know who these people are. I know what's happening. This was like, they'd sit and they have like a 10 minute conversation as to who this guy is and what their connection is. And then the scene where they go do the thing happens and I still don't know what's going on at all. It's to me, it was like, why even have those expositions at all? Why not just have a 20 minute short film of Steven Seagal and his friends <laughs> shooting people? Definitely. See, this is, I think one of the things that the movie really lays out is that Steven Seagal doesn't have friends. He has work acquaintances or women who he has bedded so well that they have bought him platinum Rolexes afterwards. That's definitely another thing that's like <laughs> spelled out in 10 foot high flaming letters at the start of the film that he is a PIMP. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So Steven Seagal is pressed back into service by someone who is worried that Daesh or ISIS is using Mexican cartels for their access ways into America and vice versa, the Mexican cartels want to get more drugs into the Europe. Middle East yeah. or Europe or. Yeah. And it seems to be like they're they're sort of tying into El Chapo's escape at mm. some points. And also the uh, the airliner. There's a whole subplot where there is an airliner that was brought down. I don't know. Are they referencing like the actual commercial plane that was brought in down Crimea. Crimea. oh totally yeah. oh yeah totally i think like, so it was a mishmash of i think those two things uh like a just general fascination with the border and a general <laughs> fascination with just uh generic good old uh xenophobia like it was just a lot of it centered around the idea of like oh like you know you're you're an arab and like you're here and like oh god what are you doing here and i've caught you escaping america and then it's just kind of like, then the guy gets caught. And sorry, this is like a very disjointed thing. But then I'm just hearkening to that interrogation scene. And he literally just goes like, uh, oh, you are Mexican. You're like from the Middle East and you were trying to escape America. But then what was weird is that the guy like just went like, kind of like, ah, you got me. Like He was <laughs> just kind of like, ah, crap, you know. Uh, yeah. Yes, you're right. And to me, that was just sort of like, that's kind of what it's trying to stoke in a lot of ways, which is just that. Yeah. Well, going, going back to the start of the film, I'm not sure. Yeah, sorry. Know. I jumped ahead there. <laughs> but, okay. I jumped ahead. So, sorry. so it starts off with uh, the uh, assassination scene. Yeah. And yeah. then cuts to Sonora. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Did you notice uh, there's that? No, Juarez. Juarez. Juarez, yeah. There's that TV screen. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah, and it's playing the assassination. It's yeah. playing a clip from the film we just watched, <laughs> intercut into a bunch of like prototypical like narco terrorist types. Mm -hmm. so there's like a map of Mexico. There's uh, Walter White's blue meth, and yeah, all yeah. of a sudden the film that we're watching is on that screen. 
And there are so many better ways to set that up where sort of like you have the shot of like the guys being killed and then you pull out and then that is like news footage from the thing. And yeah, then like, like someone reports what on are it we supposed and then you establish that shot. But they put a whole new establishing shot in. Yeah. What are we supposed to make of that? <laughs> like, yeah, I, it really... I mean, it's unintentionally avant-garde because it's the camera from the real life we just saw. But now it's part of a video. And so it's like. You're watching a video because, you're, you know, it's yeah. like, I'm assuming that they're just like, oh, we got this footage. We might as well use it. The metafiction is immediately ruined. Like, it's it's crazy. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is it is like you were kind of alluding to, like a total non sequitur. Yeah. Like it it cuts to Juarez. Is it Juarez? Juarez. Yeah. yeah. Juarez. yeah he's then, in like, like a Mexican bar. And then they do that little absurd Mexican bar scene. But then it's just somewhere else now. I think it goes to well, El Paso. Well, let's not glance by the Mexican bar scene because this is one of the highlights of the film just because it is. I mean, there's nothing good in this film past the 20 minute mark. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the <laughs> one thing that's so funny about this film is that uh, the casting is so uh, like so crudely done. that Like the government guy had to be a dorky, spineless white guy. You know, that he's like the government scumbag bureaucrat, you know, like it's just it's like like to like give more credit to Steven Seagal's physicality. Well, this whole scene is all there just for that. Like, yeah, Seagal is so after those murders that are on the TV screen that are been reported on by the news uh, about it. A local gang attack in Istanbul is being reported on in Juarez as if it is late breaking news. Uh, and then we do, we transfer over to Steven Seagal, who is meeting up with this very feckless uh, sort of uh, yeah. I, he, he's some sort of operative that can put out contracts to kill. He he didn't come off as that feckless to me. He more came off as man with beard who needs to advance the plot. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess in the sense that he really was just a placeholder for uh, like pages in a script. But like, he seemed like a white wimp Dorcas. Well, he was definitely a Dorcas. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's fair. And the other thing, too, about like, I guess the reason why I'm I'm inclined to just think of it differently is weirdly enough because he has a beard. And normally when I think of like those wiener guys, I think of like glasses, clean shaven, like maybe it's just because they were just, you you know what? That's actually a fair point. Because in uh, 13 hours, the Michael Bay film, all of the military contractors in Syria, all the white guys all have beards so they yeah. look more arab so i mean that's a fair point that like it makes you look less caucasian to have it's not even beard. like it's not even like a, a, a like a like a caucasian thing it's almost like oh like i think honestly that steven seagal's level of like representation of people is like oh he has a beard so he's badass <laughs> like, oh, like a beard makes him more virile yeah because steven sure. seagal has that goofy well, this whole scene is sort of like what you get a like a really good glimpse into what Steven Seagal finds badass. Whereas then he goes and he beats up those college kids clean shaven. And, and they're generally- but those guys aren't college kids because they call him a rich and handsome white man. One, they call the guy coming down the stairs when they're going up to order their drinks. They call him a gringo. But mm-hmm. the problem is, again, these are Eastern European Mexicans. Those yeah. ones that can pass off as just so, anybody. Yeah. In that scene, the guys that he beats up who are harassing his like Chica or whatever, they were Mexican? They are they're Mexican, yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Well, they're not they're not they're Eastern European actors playing. Right, Mexican. right, but they're yeah. they're not white. Right. 
Mm, even though they yeah because like in terms of like a uh steven seagal selling us on the fact that he's not just a boring white dude it would make more sense to have him beating up dorky white college guys who are sort of like not down moonlighting in mexico exactly exactly (laughs) and that like he's he's down with the Mexican with like culture, the local culture yeah. and that, you know, he's speaking his uh, horrendous broken Spanish to people and that he's like these foreigners, you know, like I'm going to take care of them for you. And it's like it's a pretty big misstep for him to be beating up essentially the, the locals, which are more like local than him. In a way, though, it's like very classic Seagal, because when I think Seagal, I think like racial ambiguity mixed with racial insensitivity oh for sure which is basically sure. he traffics in the idea of like i'm of an indistinct background so yeah, thus yeah. i can play anybody but also i am just a white guy like yeah. steven seagal is just a white guy <laughs> yeah so like he really only has like the sort of assholeish white person's view of any sort of minority so on one hand he has his cake which is that oh, I can traffic in this idea that, like, I'm some sort of minority. Then he eats it, too, by bringing the white person's total lack of knowledge into any sort of cultural nuance. So he based... And it works for anything because he's literally played, like, every fucking race. So it's like, oh, I'm a Native American, so thus, you know, I'll write Which is one of the things that's brought up when he's talking to the... uh, My Native American brothers caught you along the border. It's like, what brothers? I thought you were a Mexican. Like, what Not only that, Native American ice agents. Native Americans who are looking to deport people from the country and are apparently only seeing... Yeah, yeah wouldn't they be, like, deporting, like, 98% of America? Like, yeah. if you were an American... Like, I can't... It, it seems like they've created this type of person who can't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Native American ICE agents looking to just to deport everyone. But those are the people who have caught on to these Mexicans who aren't Mexicans, who are actually ISIS, who are uh, Daesh. I believe that is a sort of offensive term. But, uh, so, like, in that scene... We get our first big exposition dump where we find out Seagal has killed Little Bear, uh, a a very, like a huge drug trafficker, because we get that awesome green screen screenshot of him shooting twice in a tunnel and then like, yeah, back to nothing. And then I'm pretty sure. Sorry. I'm pretty sure that was just that scene from Sicario. Oh, totally. Just like, (laughs) oh, totally. That's uh, just um, which is what's her name? Uh. Emily Blunt taken out in him. And oh, for sure. Because mm-hmm. yeah, he yeah. is a bigger guy and he'd be able to look shit yeah. on Emily Blunt. Yeah. But uh, going back to this idea about uh, Seagal, uh, I guess, like, going to great lengths to uh, show that he's sort of like uh, like a, a, a man of the world in terms of uh, racial and cultural things, you can actually see that a lot in his uh, the reality TV cop show where every time there is a Hispanic person, he'll start speaking to them in horrible Spanish. And they'll be like, they'll start speaking English to him. And he's like, no, no, he won't. He's like, no, 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 no. We're fucking speaking Spanish. Every single time there's an Asian person, he'll bow to them. Oh. And they're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I mean, like, they're visibly (laughs) on my God. He'll He'll use phrases like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm holding you down. And stuff like that. Like, I'm down with you. Like, I'm going to help you oh, out. Gosh. And it's just like the lengths that he'll go to to show that, like, he's not the man, you know, that he's like the 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 enemy of. Hegemony. I understand you, S.A. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's crazy. 
I mean, the great thing about Steven Seagal is it gives you great insight into how Donald Trump would be as like an action star. I think those two are very, very closely related. I was going to say, like, I didn't want to make the obvious point, but Mm -hmm. this is an extremely Trumpy movie. Like, it's like... They, there's a beautiful part when he's interrogating interrogating the the Mexican turned ISIS agent. Yeah, where he says, I "Was like literally. thanks to this administration, you'll probably be let out in the morning." Yeah, and it's like, yeah, whoa, <laughs> yeah, especially since like it was kind of around the election time. Yeah, like, it, it really was released already, in December. Now it sounds like almost like cutesy. <laughs> <laughs> and like the other thing too about that whole thing is that like. God forbid I generalize about President Donald Trump, but I feel like he would be way into like Steven Seagal, <laughs> like well, way into Steven Seagal. Yeah, these are two guys who only want to be seen in like uh, masters of everything that they do, uh, and they have no sense of humor. There's nothing None. that Seagal could, does that suggests that he. Sorry, I'll sidebar this, but we'll get back on the topic. Yeah. But one of the great tragedies about Seagal, specifically Seagal right now, is that he is just in terms of look and shape and build and presence, the like most perfect movie villain. <laughs> yet he's so vain that he will not let himself be yeah. a villain. Mm. Like, oh my God, he would make such a perfect villain. Like the way that he like looks and carries, he is designed to sit behind a desk. Yeah. And like James Bond bursts into the room and there he is. He spins in his chair and he's big and. With his Oakleys that he always wears. Yeah, exactly. And just like to give some one dumb speech and then shoot him a couple of times. Like, but he's so vain that he can't not be the hero. And that to me is truly the greatest missed opportunity of just Seagal (laughs) in general, which is he could actually carve out himself a pretty nice niche career. Definitely. As just that villain type. Like even just like sort of a little bit winking to his former persona. Yeah. He really looks the part of just like very good villain. Mm -hmm. He really does. Yeah. Anyways. He's got like that nice voice. (laughs) Well, you know, I would disagree with the Trump comparison because the thing with Seagal is that even though it is arrogant and vain, like he is all about cultural appropriation uh, under the guise of those other cultures bringing value to his life. And that even if he doesn't do it in the right way, like he really gets off on the idea of like, you know, when you hear him talk about living in Japan, like that he's like, I was the only white guy. But like, think he about likes that the Trump idea tweet of him with like his uh, taco bowl and he's like, I love Mexicans. And he's like, happy. Yeah, uh, to Cinco me that de reads as like a uh, like this ongoing thing where like, you know, your cloak from preventing you against basically being labeled as a racist or a xenophobe is, hey, but I know that one whatever ethnic stereotype you're currently stereotyping. Yeah, and, and it's a positive stereotype, so yeah. it doesn't so that doesn't work. Like, like that scene, that interrogation scene is so horribly like offensive, like just in a very general sense, in that like they have this actor who is literally designed to be so ethnically ambiguous that he can just insult every single race while he talks to him. Does he start speaking Arabic? Well, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's an interrogation scene of Seagal with a, with a Mexican who they think, who Ice caught thinking that he was trying to get into the States, but it was a Daesh agent trying to get out of the States yeah. back into Mexico. Yeah. So the scene of this interrogation goes from Seagal speaking English to him saying, I'm not going to offend you speaking English, speaking to him in his terrible, terrible, terrible Spanish. I mean, yeah. And then 
Arabic. And then yeah. Arabic going, I know you're not actually Spanish, even though they've been conversing like that. Uh, you're, you're Arabic. It's, uh, it's crazy. And his old flame is watching the entire time. Yeah. And we're not sure if she's totally convinced that he's ready to go back in the field. <laughs> yeah. And even like that whole, even though it's ostensibly just meant to be like exposition, like that whole line of thinking is so like designed to be a very Trumpy line of thinking, which is that like, I'm not a big expert on like geopolitics specifically, like when it comes to terrorism and stuff like that. But I do know that like, if a terrorist is in the United States, they don't cross like the Mexican border. Like that's just stupid. Like that's like <laughs> they fly in on planes. Like the whole idea is to just layer yourself in like, and that's why all this sort of like these travel bans and building a big wall is so stupid because that's not how this stuff operates. But this idea of like, oh, well, we caught the terrorist at the border and our two or at least the two biggest American preoccupations are the border and terrorism and the idea that he just sort of like mashes these two things together into one giant jumbo that like <laughs> is like so Trumpian to me that it's kind of hilarious. And I, I like I would completely agree with that. The way that he knows that this guy is not uh, Hispanic trying to get into the uh trying to get into america yeah, is because they were line. they were native american it was his native yeah. american brothers yeah. who tracked him down and but they're then, the best trackers but then the guy goes like oh uh-huh, you figured me out like he really just totally <laughs> he gave. just sort of flops over yeah and maybe that's an extra commentary oh, on how how confident he is that yeah, obama's like gonna let we, him out in the morning yeah. if we just built that wall could you imagine all the terrorists who just confessed the moment we picked them up man although or be over have you guys ever watched the first 48 no. So it's a reality show following homicide detectives. Okay. And they're basically like the first 48 hours is like if you don't solve it during the first 48, it's, you're probably not going to solve it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you would be amazed the things that make people flip. Like it's just like, oh, yeah, it's just like I heard that you were like hanging out with a peanut on Friday night. And he's like, I shot him. <laughs> like it's just like what like that just that that made you you know you just say you weren't hanging out with fucking peanut like sometimes people like they just fucking give it up yeah you give them like a fucking uh like a soft drink and like a fucking sandwich and they're just like oh. yeah but i guess my gripe was more that like sure like that's just like a local hood who maybe did something that they weren't it, supposed it's to. silly but it does happen yeah, but I mean, like, if you're supposed to be, like, some sort of, like, bigwig terrorist crossing the border, espionage, like, one would assume at some point that would be like, okay, if they catch you, don't immediately agree that when they've said that they figured it out. Like, it's kind of apples and oranges in a weird way. Like, to me, it feels like much more of, like, just a flaw in, like, these this representation of, like, Middle Eastern espionage. Like, it's this idea of, like, oh, this guy's so dumb that, like, if we caught him, like, he just totally flopped. Whereas, like, I see, like, a criminal, like, in a small town or, you know, not even a big city. Sure. Like, if the minute the cops get on their tail, like, I can see the pressure confessing. Right. This is, like, a field where you are constantly being evaded by FBI, CIA. Assuming you've gone undercover. Yeah. And, like, it seems like, to me, that would be a very basic thing where, please just don't caught to whatever <laughs> sure. they immediately pick you up on i mean you already learned english and spanish for this mission like yeah just stick with one of those or then you can maybe say it was Seagal. that uh Seagal's, uh mastery of so many languages had him at a loss yeah i think he read like the five pages of rosetta stone for like every language and i think that's what he goes on he read the intro yeah after that interrogation he has to reveal to his ex. Is she DEA, his ex-lover slash new? She's either DEA or CIA. Yeah, I don't think it really matters. <laughs> but she's like a company person. Yeah. yeah. 
Is she sad that he's being pressed back into service? I don't really understand like why she was included in this mission part. Like she seems to be bounded by some sort of agency. Yeah. Like I found it weird that she was just like, all right, come kill a bunch of people now. Like, I don't know. She seemed to have much more roots. Whereas the other two were like, seemed much more like rogue types. It seemed like, like part of the shtick was that she was like, so overpowered with, uh, Seagal's, next level uh seductive masculinity that she was going to kind of give him uh insider information that she shouldn't have and she would kind of break the rules a little bit because they have like a personal relationship yeah that's fair and i mean that's one thing that i will say about this movie, which you've already kind of gotten into which is pretty much any female character in this is basically there to remind you that steven seagal is a player yeah Oh, like, totally. Straight up. Yeah. And yeah, starting with that first scene with the girl, like we have no prior knowledge about this lady and yeah. no interest in knowing she had no bearing on the plot aside from the Steven Seagal can go up and kiss her and she, he'll beat up people for her. Like it literally is just like, look at me. I defend ladies. Oh, wait, the waitress. Yeah. 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 That's a very ambiguous relationship because they never kiss on the mouth. But she keeps calling him daddy or poppy or something like that. Yeah, Much it, more a, pat- a paternal role. Yeah, it's hard to tell if he's just a good customer and like a nice guy. Yeah. Or if they're knocking boots. It seemed like they had maybe once at one point knocked a boot. Yeah. Uh, perhaps now not so much. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'll be lying. That, like Steven Seagal in any circumstance. But I would argue even more than the action in the romance sequences really looks uncomfortable. He fucked in a suit, like in a full <laughs> outfit. Well, I was going to, I was going to save this for a while, but that that sorry, scene let's let's get into it. He of his in suit, of his hands wrapping around other? that tiny, tiny woman. Yeah, his ex DEA lover, now yeah. lover again, was the most distressing thing and the realest thing of this entire movie. Yeah. It was just like, oh, yeah, yeah. like when they she's earning about, every like, penny of or yeah. every ruble. When they talk about like. Uh, like the kernel of truth in any movie. That's the kernel <laughs> of truth right there, which is holy fuck, Steven Seagal, you are a terrifying person. Yeah. And uh, I guess like for me, it was the mo, not just the full suit, but also like the whole mobility thing. Like, cause in the action sequences, <laughs> sure. I understand that requires like a young man sort of thing. I mean, the action sequences we deserve, they deserve their own. His first let's, fight is him sitting down. Yeah, let's let's put it aside for now. There's lots to get into with the fighting. But yeah, just the whole romantic stuff. I was like, this guy looks like he uh, is literally incapable of fucking. And he's fucking in a suit. So it's like, is he even like a romantic lead at that point? Well, he is 67 years old, right? Are you serious? I think he's around that age. I mean, he looks all right for 67. That's fair. I got it. I got to yeah. Google this. His first movie was 64. 64. I mean, that's still pretty fucking old. Yeah. It's from Michigan. Yeah. Like, that's the thing about Seagal. That's really <laughs> funny is like you keep wanting to think like he's at least somewhere kind of exotic, like maybe uh, Glendale. <laughs> but no, it's straight up just fucking white bread ass Michigan. Like it's that bloodline is white. Well, the, the, like, I think we're kind of under something interesting here in regards to, like, Seagal in, from, like, a physical standpoint. Clearly, 
uh, can't do anything. Yeah, like not conforming to the action star or the romantic lead stereotype. Really, even the uh, mobile human being yeah. stereotype. And so, uh, of course, it, it begs the question of why is he still doing this? Vanity, vanity. Yeah, I and I mean, like, I it, it's kind of like, uh, like his ego is kind of his own undoing. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. And oh. I mean, like, that's it's fascinating to see it to to such an extreme. You know? Yeah, I mean, and the other thing too is that, like, we were talking about the whole Russia thing and like how he's adored in Russia, and you know, it, it's easy to just have adulation. Like, we shit on like someone being adored in Russia, like it's like crap, but. You know, if you're a guy who just wants people to pat him on the back, like I'm sure those Russian fans pretty much are fueling his career at this point. Yeah. Well, there is this idea that he's still subscribing to this type of masculinity that has fallen out of favor in the West. I mean, not so much for Contract to Kill, because when you go on to Amazon and check out the reviews, the user reviews, they are not kind to this movie either. No. But it's that sort of like, if you go on to his Facebook wall or if you go on to like his Instagram or things like that, people just... There's like a, there's still a market for people who just want to watch somebody get killed or get their ass so kicked. Here's the question. Like, are people late period Steven Seagal fans and who are they and why are they? You know, like like how much of it is nostalgia and well, how like, much yeah, of like it, who is like, he appealing to? Well, I mean, if there's one thing that's super apparent right now is that everyone's nostalgic for something mm. there's a chips movie coming out like are we fucking kidding me like <laughs> who is like oh man i really miss chips like so i'm not surprised that there are people who are like <laughs> and you know what i hope Dak shepherd is directing it because oh. uh, like, like the thing is for me like i sincerely enjoy early saga like not it's not a funny thing it's not an ironic thing like i think it's actually good i think he's like a badass cool guy you know he's not someone i would want to be because he's like an arrogant prick but i mean like he was fucking kicking ass and he was cool as shit you know and like i have a difficult time watching these late period films like basically anything past under siege Mm -hmm. because it's it's lesser seagal like it's not the seagal that i like let me riddle you this yeah do you think you would like current period seagal more if he just straight up just straight up had access to a bigger budget like, would Contract to Kill appeal to you more if it was made? Like, we're obviously, we should mention, we tried to find budgetary figures <laughs> on this movie. They are very hard to come by, which I'm assuming is just a sign that it's probably made very cheaply. Mm. But so let's just say for shits and giggles sure. that this was made for 10 times the budget. Sure. Right. Do you think it would be objectively better to you as a Steven Seagal fan? Definitely not. Okay. It's like, I need young Seagal. Okay. Like, Seagal is what makes the film. Okay. And so if he's old and, uh, like, you know, not cool and not able to move, mm-hmm. like, that just it, there's mm-hmm. other shit I would rather watch in terms of action. So we've kind of hit on a chicken and the egg thing, which is that has time made Steven Seagal not cool? Or has Steven Seagal somehow literally, through some sort of tangential action, become not cool? That's not a chicken egg thing, but it's something... <laughs> <laughs> well, well like, I think like you know what I mean, with a budget would be Liam Neeson these days, right? Older guy doing action stuff into his sixties, I guess. But I think Liam Neeson. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I I always struck Liam Neeson. I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of those new ones, but he seems like he likes the against the elements stuff too. 
they cater the film to his physical limitations. Yeah, that's fair. Like, uh, like the, going back to what we were talking about before in Rogue One, Donnie Yen. Like, I mean... Oh, you remembered his name. Yeah. Like, they can shoot stuff with him because he's fucking Bruce Lee 2017. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, mm-hmm. they, like, milk that for everything they fucking game because the guy's a fucking superhero. But I mean, like, Liam Neeson, like, he's not going to fucking, like, wheel kick anyone. You know? Yeah. Like, best case scenario... In terms of like physical exertion, he's gonna run for five seconds, you know, or maybe he'll punch somebody. Yeah. Would you prefer Seagal as like kind of more like a Sonny Chiba and Kill Bill kind of deal, where he just kind of pops in? And you're like, oh hey, he used to be physically yes. capable. I would, I'd love that. Okay, I'd love that, but like, I guess it's kind of like I don't think he's incapable of understanding. Vanity is he's not sexy badass anymore yeah vanity i think it's safe to say is probably his greatest undoing yeah um but the question still remains is he less cool just through the passage of time and how we perceive coolness or has he actively transformed himself to be less cool there's a lot of things informing how we look at steven seagal and that you know he's got his reality tv shows He's got uh, all the debacles in the UFC where he's uh, taking credit for uh, teaching Anderson Silva a kick. And Anderson Silva is just like, you know, his English isn't very good. And he's like, oh, yeah, Steven Sakali, teach me the kick. And it's just like, it's insane, you know, that he is taking credit for the greatest fighter on the planet doing a kick that has been done before. But like Anderson Silva is such a good he's guy. He's trying to like patent a kick. Yeah. Like. Like he was basically saying that he. Sorry, I'm, I mean I'm not a big MMA anything, but like a kick seemed like a very basic unit of fighting. Well, that, like I'll kind of put it in some context. So basically, yeah, basically I think that would help. Basically, at the time, so Anderson Silva is, units of fighting. You Anderson, know, I taught Floyd Mayweather the punch. So uh, at the time, Anderson Silva is uh, okay. the middleweight champion and like the pound for pound greatest fighter in the planet, like the, the Michael Jordan. Of combat, sports. it's my fault. I'm very ignorant about the sport, so well, I that, let you fill me. That's, that's my fault. Uh, fill me in. Fill so me. Uh, he's fighting uh, Vitor Belfort. I was kind of like an old school guy, and so Anderson Silva does something that has never been done in the history of combat sports, and he knocks him out with a front kick to the face. He kicks a guy in the head. Well, I mean, he Millimeter basically kick. he uses a kick that's traditionally used in Muay Thai to keep people off of you. Um, but the way that he does it, he actually knocks him out. And it's never been done before. He drilled him really hard with this yeah. typically defensive move. Yeah. And so Steven Seagal was like, I taught him that kick. And Anderson Silva, he's just like, he's such a chill dude. He's like, oh, yeah, Steven Seagal, teach me the kick. Is that really like, I mean, if I'm like a top <laughs> MMA fighter, like I imagine I have a lot of like professional uh, rivalries. Seagal seems like. Fuck it. <laughs> but I mean, that, that's the crazy thing. But it gets thing. to the heart of sort of who Steven Seagal is. is yeah, like, like, for so long, he's mixed sort of fact and fiction. For yeah. every lie that he tells, there is yeah. some truth. Yeah, to that things. like whether he taught him the kick or not, I mean, uh, we'll never really know. But like, how is he hanging out with the best fighter on the planet? Like, his, how is he best friends with him? His life is really such an amazing allegory exactly. for Trump. It, it really is. <laughs> he has a weird... Uh, obsession with his own self-image that lies him to lie compulsively and despite you might think it's to his detriment it still allows him to fuel a career he has very weird uh strenuous ties to russia that 
he doesn't really seem to want to explain or go into any real detail about, aside from they seem to have a strange vanity connection. And really, they just trade on this idea that, like, yeah, I'm a fucking asshole, but there's a subset of the population that loves me being just a big fucking asshole. The thing is, they don't see themselves as that. Right. right, they're the hero. They're yeah, always. The, I know. I don't think that they do, but it also is a big part of crafting their image. He is a goofy dude. Like, I'm sorry that that might seem obvious to say, but like in that movie, like, I really don't know what sort of tone he's going for at all. Like, on one hand, he seems to want to be that sort of like breathy, talking, cool shit. <laughs> you know, like, damn yeah, man, don't worry about it, brother. We got this down lock. Me and my man, everybody gotta understand. A lot of men are going to die. But at the same time, like, that voice never changes. That's true. And it always sounds kind of out of breath. Yeah. Like, it sounds like a mix of trying to be cool, but just winded. And, like, I get that, like, breathy voice. But the whole cachet of that, like, breathy voice is you kind of kick into it when you're really hit with, like, adrenaline. Like, it's like you break out that voice where, like, you're pushed past your limit and you are literally winded due to... You know, the classic Bruce Willis thing where like Bruce Willis just whooped a bunch of asses and I seen the final guy and now he's like, all right, man, I see you and I'm ready to come, come for you, man. And Steven Seagal, it just, it's like, he seems, it almost seems like he hooked on to the, oh yeah, that voice, like, you know, cool action guys use that voice. I'll use that voice. You know, <laughs> it almost seems like he is, uh, like, uh, inspired by like late period Marlon Brando. You know who I, I actually think that's <laughs> not a great influence. You know who I actually thought he sounded the most like? Uh, Shaq. <laughs> sounded a lot like Shaq in that movie. Well, that's one of the things is when you, in these exposition dumps, when you put him up against uh, these other actors who sort of know they have some sort of classical training in acting, they have, they have some sort of movie sort of training for acting. Do they? When, well... At least they know how to say their lines in a way that emphasizes the right words, whereas Seagal sort of emphasizes the words he knows he's remembering correctly and then sort of mumbles into and yeah, out of those there words. there were a lot of ums and ahs. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that was sort of like, we can't afford take number three. Sorry, guys. That yeah. was it. So yeah. going back to what we're talking about, about, uh, you know, like, uh, would I like late period Seagal more if there's right, more budget? Yeah. Like, I mean, his early films, like his, like, over the top bravado is like one of the most appealing things. Like he is this uh, like charismatic uh, machismo guy and he's beating guys up while he's kind of trash talking them. And like, he didn't do this like monotone, like I'm going to make him up that they can't refuse type thing. Like, I mean, like he would put on different characters. Like in one of his early films, he's like uh, Italian mob dude. But I mean, like, there's this level of sort of energy that, uh, like, was really infectious. And, like, I mean, to say that's lacking in this film is, like, a fucking understatement. Well, we should also probably get on the record, like, Michael, you know him from his early stuff. Yes. Safe to say you're the biggest fan of the three of us. This is my I'm, first Seagal film. This is my second. This is my second. Seagal fan. I think my whole thing with Seagal specifically in this one is that even though I'm not very familiar with his oeuvre, I do get that like shell of himself impression, but I also like, I don't have a lot of the specific examples. And I mean, let's be real. 
in the 90s, xenophobia and racism in a casual way was just generally more accepted. So I think he got away with it a lot more in the 90s. But also, I think there is something to the point where you talked about how, you know, he'd be like beating guys up and sort of talking his way through it, where it's like just the confidence in that, like, he's so uh, physically imposing and strong and just a tough guy that like, oh, look how cool he is. He like talks in a conversational tone while he whoops these guys asses. Whereas here, it is very clear that he has limited to zero physical capacities. Mm. And I'm wondering just if that fact alone diminishes his power because so much of his ability to be a movie star is reliant on his ability to sort of effortlessly kick an ass. Whereas here, it's like, I don't think he could kick an ass even if I like paid him to kick an ass. Like, you know, like, that's, I think, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, like, if you. If you took Seagal away from this movie and you said, I just watched a movie where a 64-year-old man is the action star, yeah, deals with some technology, and <laughs> defeats some people in Istanbul, you probably come pretty close to like the action movies that, or the sort of the set pieces that you come up with in Contract to Kill, which is a lot of driving and a lot of sort of pointing a gun slowly and going around corners. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of... All the quick cuts in the action are... Anytime there's a hit or anytime there's like a punch thrown so that they can just cut in somebody else's arm and then the next shot is somebody being flipped on the ground. Like it's very much a 64 year old man's action movie. Yeah. I also dwelled on the fact this is somewhat related that apart from the sort of uh, born movie uh, like use of radar shots and like that kind of crap. The style of it was very early 90s John Woo coming to America where. You know, the dramatic moments were in slow motion Mm. and there wasn't a lot of quick cutting in the fight sequences, or at least by today's standards. There was a lot of just sort of wide angle establishing shots of people walking into spaces and sort of establishing their physical presence. And that to me seemed very like almost like charmingly dated. That's a really good point. Uh, The one thing I kept on thinking was like, uh, Am I just being a, like a an ignorant hater, assuming that it does seem dated because the production values are so low? Or is this a valid stylistic critique? Yeah. And I mean, the other thing that I will give it, this is about as nice as I can say thing about this movie, which is that the cinematography was probably the best thing in it. The writing was unbearable. Yeah. And the acting was a bit better than that. And the special effects, God help us. And, you know, but in terms of just how it was shot and like the lighting, that was actually pretty competently done. But all I could think was this is shot like hard target or like an early John Woo thing. And that to me is like, it's good, but it's also like very, very quaint. And it's like, that's not what action movies now are supposed to aspire to. One of the things I did enjoy is that even though it featured almost no computers, it fell into the trap of early 90s cinema trying to make computers cool mm, by yeah. way of the guy's drone yeah. uh, control. Like, he's got a huge box for yeah. his drone, computers are which could be run cool anymore. through, like, an iPhone. But not only yeah. that, but every scene with him in it is panning around him, and he's also walking counterclockwise to the camera. Yeah. So yeah. he's constantly spinning in a circle. Yeah. At a, like a hotel bar, like there are people getting dinner behind him. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, especially since like that was like you're right. Like in the nineties movies, that was the thing, which is like, yes, computers are everywhere now. Yeah. But how do we make a guy standing at a computer interesting? And now we don't have to fuck around with that because you don't really need to be standing at a computer to make that stuff work. You can mm-hmm. have like a little thing and just pretend like it isn't even there. But that computer or sorry, that computer the movie still like dwells well in that. that trap. It, it it's like you don't like, have to. It almost seems like they were self-consciously uh like going to great lengths to foreground we're using computers and crazy tech as mm-hmm. opposed to coming up with like a more nuanced thing it's like this guy's got this crazy box or like his little pelican briefcase like laptop oh or whatever God, yeah i That's mean you could do all that on a fucking smartphone yeah but instead they built this thing with a 29 dollars microsoft wired keyboard and like a fucking like little switches from fucking Radio Shack and shit. And it's just like, like, we get it. Like you have yeah. technology. I'd like to segue from this into the next scene. If we're still doing the whole like scene by scene route uh, to probably the most baffling. And to me, at least the most like interesting scene, which is the introduction of the third man in the team. Old drone in the forest. <laughs> like, first of all, uh, I'm puzzled by the car blowing up because. Okay, so before that. Yeah, sorry. Okay, I'm, we're before that. Uh, this scene needs to be analyzed in yes. length. Okay, so Seagal's old love interest, who he's 64, she's 28. They made love years that ago. That's a real age. That's a real age. Yeah, she's my Man. age. Oh. Uh, she's 28. Years ago, they were lovers and partners, maybe? And she bought him a platinum Rolex that he still wears and as a gift from the best lay he ever had, which again, is just, it's beautiful. Who gets yourself a commemorative good fuck gift? (laughs) I mean, even imagine she had the funds at 18 to give the 54 year old man. She was fucking at the time, a really great Rolex watch for just, Fucking me real good. That like so many different alarm bells. Anyways, they need to make up a third person for their team before they go to Istanbul to check up on the Mexicans, the cartel members who are going to meet a a member of Daesh to uh, facilitate some sort of deal. Anyways, cut to they're driving in a forest. God knows where. With little to no exclamation. I'm pretty like sure the last date Well, they're marked. in Sonora, hopefully. Was it Sonora? I thought it was El Paso at that point. They're I definitely think. in the U.S. at that point. Yeah. Also, El Paso. Anyway, go ahead. So, yeah, they're in the forest. They're driving. in the forest, driving, and then do they just pull over at some point? Because I think they're, they're, supposed, to meet they're supposed to meet him, him in that designated area. location. They're supposed to meet the third member of their, their yeah. potential third member of the team yeah. who's dangerous and they're not sure if he's going to join up. Yeah. And they and he's late. They were very <laughs> upset that he was late, which like I'm a dangerous mercenary and I'm late. Fuck man. Three strikes. I'm sorry. Inconsiderate and rude. And do they have their guns out before he even shows up? You have to. You have to. It's, yeah. She's got like a like a little submachine gun sort of thing. Yeah, she has yeah. an MP5. Okay, so they've got their guns out waiting for the third member of their team potentially. Because like you said, they were not sure of his hostility or, you know, they weren't, you know, they were, I guess they had their guns ready just in case he popped out of a tree or something. 
but it's not him who pops out. It is a drone. The drone. Yeah. Okay. So, a drone. Quick, quick thing. Uh, w- does anyone here know like anything about like drones beyond just like drones or drones? Because I'm pretty sure that that was just like a like a drone that you could buy at Walmart. Well, this is the thing. Yeah, that particular one a- can carry a lot. Okay, so like, but they've made no effort in the film to sort of dress this up as like this is a special military drone or something like that. Yeah, this is a drone that this guy has bought and put a gun onto. It, it yeah, all, carry that gun. All I could think is like that looks like when I saw like those ads for Amazon Prime where they deliver. It looked exactly like one of those delivery yeah. drones. That one's pretty expensive. Okay. Yeah. Like, it, what it, if they blew all the budget on that fucking drone? Like, it, it's definitely not like one of the ones you shoot like skate videos on. Yeah. Also, very funny using the drone because it also is like a very like 2016, 17 thing to do. Like, oh, that's, like, that's another thing. Like there had to be a drone. Yeah, yeah. Like it was like it was almost like a le- there was a drone in the slam dunk contest. There has to be a drone in this fucking Steven <laughs> yeah. Seagal movie. It's part of the cultural apex of this particular set of years. But what I don't get, you know, they said that white man can't jump. <laughs> um. Uh, like the whole drone gun part, like it just really didn't come off as um menacing at well, all. What is going on? Like, so the two of them are waiting for this guy. A drone descends from nowhere, but in all the scenes that the drone is in, it is drowning out the actor's dialogue. It is and- not the other thing too. It is not a military drone, as you've noted. It makes no attempt to be stealthy. It has immediately identified as weapon capabilities, and that the gun is fucking. Oh yeah, okay. To it. So the drone, like, like I don't understand why. I guess I don't understand why they just watched this drone fly around. And even Stigall. Okay, I really <laughs> like the part. I really like the part where she goes like, "Oh my god, that's a drone. Let's get rid of that fucking drone." Stigall's like, "Wait." <laughs> <laughs> and then the drone shoots and blows up a car. It almost was like Stigall was like instructing the actress, not the character, to be like, don't stop the drone yet. We have to wait for it to do the arbitrary blow up the car. There are two weird things about this scene. One, why did they drive separately to this location? Yes. Two. I never even thought of that. That's a good point. They make no attempt to make it seem like, you know, a military drone with military hardware, which is, I think, sort of what they're sort of riffing on. Or even with stealth. Yeah. It just sort of They just strapped a real gun onto a drone. Well, Sorry. Another funny thing, uh, and I mean, this is kind of uh, falling in line with this whole idea of, like, just making this crude effort to shove technology in the film, that, like, they have this drone but then they put this stupid ass uh like french uh bull pump gun on it that it's like it's not new it's and it's not cool and it juts out too like it is put on in a yeah, very like it's aesthetically just like, unpleasing way it's just like it's an old ass stupid looking gun uh she specifically says oh it's an ar it's not an ar like uh it, it's like a, a famous f1 it's just like, Duh. yeah. Oh my god! It's just like, like I mean, it's finally Im- somebody said it. It's immediately recognizable. Another Breach thing is the McGuire like, brother. Like, like the magazine on that thing is twenty five rounds, <laughs> oh and it's like clearly he's going through hundreds of rounds. Like it's preposterous. I played Call of Duty once. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like it, like that, like uh, they couldn't have looked into like oh, like new crazy guns, like uh, HKG thirty six or something. 
It's just like we're going to put this old busted ass French gun that uh, the French dudes are walking around in Paris intimidating people with. It's just like put something fucking cool on it, you know? And then the part that I love in the, this is the one part of the movie that I really actually in a certain genuine sense like the car blows up and <laughs> upon seeing her car blows up, the main character she just goes well that got my attention <laughs> like like it's your car <laughs> and the idea that like first of all a a drone <laughs> in the middle of the forest with a gun strapped to it starts flying around that doesn't get your attention but the minute it comes to the logical conclusion which is to begin firing rounds at a vehicle your car explodes your conveyance she got this forest in the middle of nowhere. Not only are you not mad, but now you're like, oh, now I see that drone with a gun on it. Like, like I don't understand. But I love the second half of this scene where then she looks around. She says the main character's name, which I forget. Hudson Halls. I don't even know. He certainly said it long enough. That's also. Anyways, she can't find him. No. Because he, as the drone operator has been playing with them he has snuck up on the drone operator who was too concerned with blowing up a car to notice that uh the this really awkward uh scene where the guy he says you must be whatever whatever and he goes you must be the contact and he goes yes i am but you never answered me or something like that it sounded like a really off take that they ended up just using as the final thing like oh buddy you missed your line on this scene that's sort of like a ribbing yeah also, um, I still don't really understand how a Steven Seagal sneaks up on this SUV. Because he's supposed to be from far away. So how did he get there so fucking quickly? Yeah, and on top of that, like it's a big, like I know this sounds stupid, but it's also just like a big vehicle that guy's in. He's yeah. in like a like a like a family sedan. Yeah. Like so, you're in this forest in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And you can't see that third car yeah. like immediately yeah. that's operating this drone, which again, as you said, the whole point of a drone is so that you can be remotely far exactly. away from like it. the fact that they they <laughs> like they're waiting there. Obviously, yeah. the third vehicle is not visible, but yeah. somehow Seagal gets there within seconds. And on top of that, like this uh, from what the movie is setting up, the drone to operate is very cumbersome. So apparently this guy was driving up while also piloting this extremely arcane Amazon Prime drone with gun that like, I don't know, dare I say, it didn't make a lot of sense. I mean, the other thing is this DEA CIA agent has driven here to this meetup in like a 95 Toyota Corolla with no hubcaps. Yeah. Obviously, the cheapest thing production could get that they yeah. could just... Like, it was like a Explode, $500 yeah. buy. Yeah, they probably got it through Obama's failed Cash for Clunkers program or yeah. something. And just... I mean, no offense to Romania, but I mean, that's just classic Romania. Right? <laughs> Maybe that's why she wasn't so upset. I think we've solved the problem. Yeah. Oh, you blew up that shit car. Maybe now I can yeah. get a decent one with the insurance. Triple is going to have a field day with this. Oh, yeah. Do they do uh, on-site recovery for that? Yeah. <laughs> but like th- this scene is an interesting example of uh the disconnect between this idea that uh this film is is so serious and is dealing with current events but then yeah. there's this scene where it's like how serious is it for these rogue agents 
to put up with this kind of bullshit. Yeah. Like, I mean, if someone started shooting at you and you're anyone other than like Dudley Do-Right, you're going to fucking <laughs> blow their fucking brains out. You know, you're going to go back. The, you're going to get their wallet. You're going to go to their house. You're going to murder their family. It's just like like the 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 fact that they were so uh, laissez faire about the remember when you shot at us? That was good, buddy. It's just like, what the fuck? You know, sadly, this is also probably the most competently shot action scene in this movie. Yeah. And it's still done in sort of bits and pieces. And I mean, it wasn't a great shooting day. It was all overcast, which actually kind of lends to the effect of what they're going for. It's like sort of like cold militaristic sort of. Yeah. Born identity sort of thing. Actually, no, you mentioned of Overcast. Am I fucking crazy? Or was every single scene in the film, even the sunny ones, it looked a little gray? Yeah. Like, I can't think of a single time where it was like, holy shit, fucking sun and clouds and wow. Yeah, unlimited like, skies. Yeah, like, it seemed like it was always overcast days. Which is too bad, because this is a movie that more than most was pointing the cameras upwards to catch all the sweet drones. You get that sweet charcoal gray on light gray sort of action. And so after after they meet up with uh, this drone operator who just by virtue of blowing up a car with his drone. He's he's proved his yeah. uh, espionage acumen. He's essentially trolled them. Yeah. And yeah. Sigal likes that. Although Seagal also subtly proves that he's still better than this guy by sneaking up on him, which I feel like is another sort of like Seagal addition to the script, which is just sort of, I always have the one up. Yeah, the vetting process wasn't really very uh, (laughs) difficult on that guy, was it? (laughs) Like, he was just kind of like, oh, you can pilot a drone. You're in. And we are an hour into the podcast, and we're coming up to the 20-minute mark on the film, which is my favorite scene in the movie, which is uh, expository dump number two or three? Three. Three. Is this the plane? It's a plane, yeah. The best part. The best part. Where Seagal is sort of... he, He talks about how there's a new way of importing drugs into this country via Puerto Rico, because Puerto Rico, they say, no passport, no problem, or something like that. Mm. And once you get things into Puerto Rico, you can get them into the rest of the United States really easily. So it's a lot easier than going through Mexico. But Mexican cartels are now doing that as well. And that's why Daesh wants to come through this. And then they make a really awkward point of saying that none of these people in the cartel or who are part of Daesh are actually religious followers. Believers. Yeah. True believers. And, like, that's something that not only does one character have to say, but another character has to yeah. affirm. And while that person is affirming it, there's a third character sort of nodding in the background, yeah. being like, yeah, yeah, I get this. Yeah. And then Seagal says the greatest line about international politics I think there's ever been. Uh, I believe it, the line is, uh, uh, it's like a monkey fucking a football. Is that right? Everything's so fucked up. It's like a monkey trying to fuck a football. This whole thing is like a monkey trying to fuck a football. All right, so I didn't have the best. Now this whole thing is a mess. Yeah. You know what's funny? In that one scene, there's two examples of uh, the Seagal, I'm not a white person. So uh, he's talking about how uh, Istanbul is a great city in terms of drug trafficking. Because he says, quote, if it was good enough for the Heron Kings as opposed to heroin. He's going with like the James mm. Brown. And another one is he quotes Genghis Khan, but says 
like the great Genghis Khan. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, I don't fucking know. Maybe that's, I don't, my Mongolian isn't too fucking good, but it's maybe that's how you pronounce it. But I've never heard anyone say Genghis That is also, that's a great line. Uh, what, do you, what was the Genghis Khan um, line? Uh, uh, yeah, worship who you want, but pay taxes to me. Yeah. And then cut to the girl. <laughs> oh, Steven. Classic Genghis. Yeah. As a 28-year-old woman, I love classic Genghis Khan yeah. quotes. But the... the it's on the, my twi- Tinder profile. The monkey trying to photo football scene is so funny because it's kind of like... Uh, Seagal wants to... Paying lip service to just the whole geopolitics of the whole thing. Exactly. But then he wants to try and downplay it. Yeah. Like putting in the... like It's like this whole like uh, rememorable about like, oh, true believers, they're not the real terrorists. Like, that's why we have to fuck up their shit because they're not really religious. Like, exactly. And it's like, we're not racist. Like, we're going to fuck up anyone. It doesn't matter uh, if you're from Islam. It doesn't matter if you're Christian. We're going to fuck your shit up. It doesn't matter. And then like to try and like uh, put a like button at the end, he puts in the monkey trying to football thing. But it's almost in direct opposition to the voiceover he says at the end of the film, which is basically... I don't care what America has to do as long as Americans can fall asleep safe at night. And then he says, we have to get a yellow convertible. And then the movie ends with him driving a yellow convertible oh, the to yellow. a new mission. Like, is that so good? Yeah. I, is I, it setting it up for a sequel? Yeah. Sidebar. Uh, what was up with that whole picking a car? Citing like a '60s Camaro is like the best tactical vehicle. Oh no 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 no! The, the and yes. it's not and it's like I think I know where you're going, which is that they didn't even like make the decision based on like tactics. It was just like he pulled up a picture of a Camaro on his computer, and Seagal just goes like, "Yeah, that's pretty cool looking." Oh <laughs> no no! That. Oh no! It's it's far more elaborate than that. Oh so oh. do you remember whose car it was? No, it's the uh like terrorists' car. Yeah yeah. And okay. so that's a classic example of Seagal basically like cutting off this fucking dude's dick. And it's just like, now I'm, I'm the alpha male because I'm driving your wheels, bitch. Yeah. And it's just like, like, it's another opportunity for Seagal to be like, you know, be like amogging someone, you know, like he's yeah. the alpha male of the group because you don't even have your hot ride. You're just a fucking pussy. Take the bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Public transit. Yeah. Man. Message to all Daesh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the third exposition scene was his attempt at trying to be somewhat sensitive to oh, the for whole sure. matter. For sure. But also, like, he's he already dug himself such a big hole in the first 15 that it was like, what hole are you trying to dig out of at this point? <laughs> like, I'm just kind of a racist. Like, I don't really understand. Like, or I'm like, I'm not Islamophobic. I'm just just uh, against Arabs in general. Like, I didn't really understand, like, why he felt he needed to equate that even to begin with. Like, the movie makes no other attempt to really do any of that. It almost felt like some sort of uh, hollow executive was like, he can't, whatever he had originally, he was like, he can't just say that about the Middle East. <laughs> like, oh, I, I think that Seagal thinks he's making a profound statement about this, like, the world. He is weirdly spiritual. Yeah, like, like I think that he is in his uh, mind. He was God. He was made one by the Dalai Lama. Yeah, like I think in his oh. mind, I think he thinks. Sorry, a Buddhist deity. I think he thinks that this film is basically a vehicle for deconstructing the world's problems, and that like, yeah, I'm gonna have to shoot a few motherfuckers, but like, if people would watch this, it would solve everything. 
And that's the great thing about this scene is because in every other action movie, there's always this sort of scene where it's like sort of a light expedition uh, exposition dump before they sort of explain what's about to happen during the next scene because the next scene is sort of like an Ocean's Eleven. We're going through this thing. They do none of that. They do no explaining of what they're trying to do here. Yeah. So, so everybody shows up, the terrorists, the cartel, Seagal, uh, his girlfriend, the guy's got a drone in the air, all at the same place at the same time. And we have no idea what they're trying to do. They're trying to spy on them, but then they're also trying to steal secrets. But then maybe they're also going to try and kill them because he does kill at least two men in the hotel while he's there or at least sort of knocks them unconscious. Here's the thing. <laughs> I think that when we want to sort of talk about how Steven Seagal was trying to lay out some sort of exposition, this goes back to what I was saying before about why this movie is so infuriating to me, which is that like, again, you don't need any of that exposition because it explains yes. nothing about the movie. So yeah, sure. I get it. Like you can, insert a scene where you all talk around and like how the world is shit and like you know it's like a monkey trying to fuck a football that old chestnut and i think what that also ceases to really address is okay you've recognized that it's a total quagmire in the world but like you are obviously not going to solve the world's problems in this movie so what exactly are you trying to achieve in just this one movie period? And I think that's where the vanity of Seagal comes into play, mm. which is that yes. he literally, I think, thinks that if people he, would watch this, it would change the world. Yeah, I totally agree. So when when he inserts all these expositional scenes, I'm kind of just like, look, I know what you want to say with this movie. Why even bother with these expositional scenes? Because really, all you want to do is just whoop every bad person that you can label's ass and then the world is solved and that's really the message you want to get across which is that steven seagal could solve all the world's problems because yeah. he's steven fucking seagal uh i want to just quickly uh just go over where steven seagal is at right now in terms of like future upcoming projects since yes. this is his most recent work uh we were talking about this before but uh he's super into russia in like a super super like this whole Real. Russia tie-in is very strange. Yeah, and I was talking off... We should probably get all of this out in the first episode I was, so that we don't yeah. have to... Yeah. I was talking off mic about how he's going to be in a movie with... Uh, he's basically... He, he He's apparently rumored to attach his next project by this Russian director named uh, Nikita Mikhailov, Mikhailkov. He's basically best known for directing literally an Oscar-winning movie called Burnt by the Sun. And I like the idea that like Steven Seagal may be uh, further involving himself in Russia just to become a prestige actor. Well, this is one of my favorite things these days is yeah. late period uh, revivals of actors like Louis Anderson on baskets playing uh, basically his mother. Yeah, it's terrific. Like there's there's a lot of these like late period sort of. I'm switching up just so probably initially so I can get a role so I can pay off whatever it is my student family is doing. But yeah. It, so I like I like that mentality, but in Russia, because mm -hmm. <laughs> I like it because I really think that like, sure, you could frame anytime Russia comes up. It's a very nefarious thing. It's like uh, a very, very sort of um, uh, lucid minded thing where people think like, oh, well, if you just, you know, don't read between the lines and just go, 
person associated with Russia, something Russia is trying to influence our politics or whatever. I really actually prefer to think of it as like Steven Seagal really just wants some sort of like art house credibility. <laughs> and like he's going to where the fans are. Yeah. <laughs> like, but like he's not only going to where the fans are. Hold on. Uh, fill some time because I want to find that there's a quote from that director uh, that he wants to work with. And it's so perfect. It's like something that like um, uh, like Soderbergh would say about Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> like it's it's uh, it's just like that perfect like, oh, well, I really want to kind of expand out his range. And I'm like, have you seen his range? <laughs> like he could barely sit down in his last movie. Like, what are you hoping to mine? <laughs> Well, okay, we can talk about the next steps in this movie, sure. which is basically they spy on these guys, but these guys discover, Daesh and cartel members discover the drone in the sky and somehow triangulate where the drone operator is. I think he's it was run. like, we're going to look for someone with a fucking joystick or something, but then they grab that guy with the hoodie. And so... The drone... It, oh, not the... Because they grabbed the wrong guy yeah. who just looked like him. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it was difficult to tell, like, whether they were just harassing every single dude on a balcony. Yeah. Or whether they somehow got a physical description. It was a little confusing. So the deleted scenes probably clear all of this <laughs> up. So the exact quote that I wanted to get is actually from the state media in Russia, uh, TASS. They go by TASS. Does anyone know this? Mm. Anyways, they describe the prospects of a Nikita Mikhalkov and Steven Seagal uh, collaboration as a, quote, extravagant and useful experience. <laughs> I can't think of something that's just sounds like, like an accurate summation of contract. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, like it's like it sounds. I think just, we might have just found the uh, title for this episode. It sounds so hilariously Russian utilitarian that it's like beautiful. Yeah. Definitely a English kind of thing. Yeah, like working with this Steven will Seagal. be very useful. This <laughs> film very useful. But I like the idea that like pairing the word useful and extravagant, <laughs> like a it does seem like an oxymoron. Like a like a, a beautifully adorned hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you can pound nails with it, and it's worth a million and a half. How extravagant and useful this gold-plated hammer is. <laughs> He, maybe that's his new nickname, the gold-plated hammer, Steven mm -hmm. Seagal. Too beautiful to use. I mean, we're coming up to my favorite scene, which is him spoofing to... Uh, he's spoofing a call to the Mexican cartels in the car where you can tell he's sort of like driving against a green screen and also typing on an off-screen computer that is not there. That was a classic Seagal can't fake drive scene so good and can't fake driving can't fake typing because you can tell his whole hand is like um it's like he was trying to type with a mitt on yeah but somehow I, he sets it up so that he's spoofing the voice of the uh daesh contact yeah sure it, uh, it was definitely another example of uh him trying to combine this sort of like uh procedural super nerdy uh espionage shit with like uh, cornball blockbuster action dumbness mm -hmm. and the fact that like some shit just doesn't fucking work. You know, it's one or the other, you know, like you're either driving 
a yellow uh, Corvette or what Camaro? Camaro, I think. Camaro. Or uh, you're fucking hacking the Matrix. You know, it's just like it's one or the other. I'm obsessed with the just general fascination of nice cars. Like, I don't know. I never got it. It's it's definitely like ultra masculine. Yeah, it, it's like if it's you want to throw back element of this like you thing. like fuck bitches, you get a fucking yellow Camaro. You know, of course. So yeah. if, if you who actually, would doubt who yeah, would doubt at exactly. that point, if you actually wanted like a practical automobile for like fucking shit ever, whatever, you get like a fucking Range Rover. Yeah. Um, I just I thought it was really funny how they just seemed to sort of pick the car, and Steven Seagal sort of looks at pictures of the car. Without any sort of analysis of its tactical capability, and just go like, it's a cool looking car. But it comes back later because he's masquerading as the guy. And he's like, I saw you driving around town. Remember? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But in exposition scene number three, I don't think that really came up. It's more like, I, I recalled it as the, the sort of uh, uh, sidekick to Seagal, sort of just being like, I found the right car. And then he just sort of pulls up like Google images of the car. And- oh, no, no. It, it- they definitely use it later on because like I saw you driving around and it causes tension between the cartel and the uh, because he spoofs the call saying, why is your yellow yeah, why are you car following me? I see. And so I'm almost like reverse engineered, like some sort of. Well, I, I, in the, the next scene, uh, the the woman says, well, you know, uh, why are you doing this? And uh, Seagal goes, classic psyops. <laughs> <laughs> and i mean oh, at this man. point the the rest of the plot of the movie even escapes me but essentially they're going to kill everybody who they had it definitely kind of implodes at that point yeah. yeah i think we were all kind of worried about like oh this is gonna take so long we have so many more scenes and then i realized like after about the 45 minute mark i really lost track yeah of- it's hard to stay focused for sure. basically let's get into the, just the fact that steven seagal can't fight at all mm. Like that's worth noting, I think. I mean, right? at, at this point in his career, yeah, I know. I mean, I mean, specifically this point in time, he's incapable of fighting. He really looked like, even in that opening scene, to harken back to that, like he was supposed to, as you said, sort of break the arms of the young. He didn't even bend their arms in the right way to make them break, and yeah. like it was clearly all relying on like the sound effect and the idea of it. And any fight scene, like, it really seemed like I would not buy in the least this guy beating anyone up or shooting anyone even. Like, how much would you guys pay into a Kickstarter for a Heart of Darkness style documentary on a Steven Seagal Apocalypse Now type film? Like, just sort of behind the scenes of the way, like one of his upcoming ones where he's like writing and directing it. I would pay 80 cents. I would pay so much more. I'd, I'd pay a good amount. I'd probably, I'd go up to almost 40 bucks. Okay, I'd pay a dollar fifty. So your point about uh, Steven Scal's inability to fight. Yeah. Uh, I feel like something like that uh, damages his enigmatic persona. Right. Because, like, he's this corny uh, action star. But if you kind of really research him, like, I mean, he's one of the first Westerners to uh, get a black belt in Aikido in Japan. And so, I mean, uh, exactly like, what does that mean? Like, I mean, uh, like, uh, how credible is his, his fighting pedigree? And I mean, at this point, like, I mean, he's so fucking old that I mean, like, it doesn't matter what he did in the past. 
But I mean, back when he was physically able, it was kind of like one of those things where it's like, like, that's the thing with sort of like action stars and film and stuff like that. It's like, like with Bruce Lee, the cool thing with Bruce Lee is that like he could probably fuck most people up as opposed to when you watch like The Matrix and you're just like, Keanu Reeves is going to die. <laughs> and that's the whole like fascinating thing about. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, that's fair because I mean, I think in any action star, one of the most, one things that people want to establish is does this person actually have the goods right. back up, whatever. Um, and you know, I imagine his previous years probably he seemed like he was accomplished. Yeah, I like I mean, like like in nineteen ninety, yeah, you'd be hard pressed to find an American action star who he wouldn't literally kill in a minute. Okay, okay, fair enough. And I mean, like that's pretty significant. Yeah, I mean, I judge my favorite actors by how many other actors they could murder. Uh. Also, that's why Bruce Valange is the top. I think that's how they picked the Golden Globes. I think. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, that's why uh, The Martian won Best Comedy. Also, how many stunt doubles did Steven Seagal have in that movie? Because I I found that to be quite distracting. Which is that anytime they need to cut to someone else, not only was it clumsily done, but there seemed to be about like five different <laughs> body shapes and. Whoa, that's a good observation. I didn't even notice that. His like I don't know if they were like hiring the stunt doubles on like contract and like every three days they had to get someone new. But like, I don't know. I found it really distracting that like, like I understand that he's an old man and he probably can't do a lot of this stuff practically in much the same way. I think of like Liam Neeson or any action star. Um, But I think it took away from the sort of reality of it all when they just couldn't even keep the consistency of a stunt double. Mm. Yeah. I would definitely fucking agree with that. And I mean, it wasn't like there are many intense stunts in this film. Not really, no. Yeah, really. <laughs> a couple, like, uh, jumping over small, like, you know, obstacles, railings yeah. and the like. But, yeah. Which arguably made it even sadder. Like, it, it seems crazy to me that, uh, like, a f- fighting action star, like, wouldn't feel self-conscious about being this shriveled, pathetic uh dried up husk of what he used to be Mm -hmm. like doesn't he see that doesn't he watch you know out for justice where he's fucking up like 15 guys at a time and it's the shit especially when i think of someone like john claude van damme who say what you will about the quality of his product overall but he at least had the wherewithal to make a self-referential movie about Mm. yeah basically a washed up piece of shit totally and, you know, I'm maybe a bit more of a JCVD guy myself, like, but also I respect the idea of like recognizing. And it's also worth noting that this whole idea of like one man army kicking everyone's ass is in and of itself kind of a dead genre. Like, <laughs> I can't think of a major movie release in which like that was the main archetypal role that has come out in a pretty good long time. Like. Most action movies now tend to be like groups or sci-fi action. Mm. Certainly in the West. Yeah. And a lot of like uh, just mindless destruction seems to be more the ultimate goal of the action. But in terms of just like that sort of like lone fox kick everyone's ass. I mean, aside from maybe Liam Neeson. I don't. John Wick. Yeah. John Wick Mm. and Bourne. You know, I don't see a lot of like people carrying on that torch to any real success. And maybe that's part of the reason why these sorts of movies also just seem because like 
it's obviously bad on just an objective level, but it's also bad and being a genre that no one has any real demand for. And I think that almost makes it doubly bad. Which like, is a shame because I think there is or there should be a market for sort of smaller action films where it's like a personal sort of thing that I think Seagal could like really cash in on. But he sort of he 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 obfuscates this whole the whole plot of this movie. He doesn't make it a simple thing. It's like the DEA and CIA want him in, you know, six different places at once. Like it's it's very much trying to have the global wherewithal that like the Avengers have when like they lift up an entire piece of the earth into the sky. And it's just like, at that point you, you just check out. Yeah. It's so absurdist that you're like, I can't mm. even deal. Yeah. And also Seagal himself is like, as I said before, has a very uh, unique presence where I think he really could succeed as like something different, mm-hmm. but he's not totally relevant in terms of like, he does have a very unique look. Like, I'll give him that. He, like, looks like a literal villain, like, <laughs> walking around. And it's sad that he can't kind of exploit that to greater success. But again, I mean, I can't feel too bad because I think a lot of that stems from his own ego and vanity. Contract to kill. Yeah. Even worth checking out? Yeah, I don't know. Like, that's, I think, a fair question. Like, is this movie even worth watching? Mm-hmm. I mean, personally, I don't think so. From like a Seagal fan point of view, you would say no? Definitely not. Like, I mean, like, like, like the thing is, uh, as like one of, I guess, like a rare demographic of people who uh, like was into Seagal when he wasn't silly, you know, and when he was like a fucking legit badass motherfucker, uh, like all this late period stuff, even before he got old. Like, I mean, it's it's lesser Seagal to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I mean, uh, is it offensive? Is it violent? Is it ridiculous? It's always been that. But I mean, like early on, like, I mean, it was something that was fresh and like it was some badass shit. And so I don't personally understand the appeal of stuff like that. Like, I mean, I don't know, I guess like an artistic level. It's kind of cool that, I mean, uh, I don't know, he's passionate enough about film to keep it going. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it to his detriment in terms of like, like transforming like his legacy or himself into this like uh, embarrassing uh, caricature of what he used to be? Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I don't know. Who knows? Like, he's fucking passionate about it. And maybe I just don't get it or it's not for me. And maybe I'm being unfair. But I mean, I don't think there's anything revealing about it at all. Mm. Yeah, for me, uh, I don't even really need to delve any deeper beyond it. Really, it's a really sour combination when you hit incomprehensible and boring. Like, (laughs) like that's, that's just a really bad movie cocktail. Yeah. And... Like, I'm honestly, I'm okay with something being incomprehensible because I think a lot of good movies are that. Mm -hmm. And I think they almost like trade on that. But also like so much of, and I hate to like belabor this point, but like so much of this movie is literally spent just trying to desperately explain why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. And it succeeds exactly 0%. So... That to me is just that's just a total brutal cocktail of just 
bad things that really just wrecked the whole idea of even sitting down and watching this for entertainment because like on one hand it was really frustrating because I couldn't like my whole big thing with like a bad movie is like can I like wash the dishes while I like watch this like Mm -hmm. but because they they like wanted you to sit and listen to this fucking exposition I really felt like okay I can't go turn on the tap because I'm gonna miss this really important dialogue and it never was important because it never led up to anything. And it just ended up being kind of like frustrating because it was like, I really want to understand what's happening here, but you're not connecting any dots. So really what I'm doing is I'm sitting here listening to you explain total non sequiturs, and then you're going to just go fight people. And it's like, go fight people, just go fight people. Like, and at least then it will be a bad movie that I can wash dishes to. Okay, so here's a question for you. Okay. I don't watch a lot of, like, low-budget, shitty action films. Okay. Do you think it's safe to assume that that approach, basically, like, jamming it full of all this, uh, like, completely confusing, illogical, expository nonsense is unique? Or do you think there's a lot of shit like this? Like, I mean, I got to assume that all the other, like, stuff that's shot in Romania, they're just blowing stuff up, and they got some babes in it, and it's just like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, the movie's over, and there's Mm. no, like, oh, like, religion, and blah, 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 and Genghis Khan, like, is Steven Seagal an exception to the rule of, like, (laughs) shitty action films? I mean... I I can't proclaim to be a big expert myself. Sure. But I think that what makes Steven Seagal different is that he does carry a bit of cachet. So you at least have to figure that some people want to tune in because Steven Seagal's in. Whereas I almost feel like a lot of those other shitty ones where nobody's are in it. Like, I assume that there's not a lot of exposition because you don't need to pay lip service to just looking at the guy's face. Uh, like Seagal I think the reason why there's a lot of exposition is because Seagal grudgingly is aware of the fact that he can't actually do a lot of that talking while kicking ass kind of stuff but he's still in his mind a very big star so we need to just kind of take in his face and his aura so having him flapping his gums on the screen could actually be a selling point basically basically because people just want Seagal people just just want Seagal yeah. And I think that uh, when you're not a big Seagal fan like myself, it comes off as just, why am I watching this? That's my, my opinion. Don't watch it. All right, yeah. Riley. Tough act to follow. Uh, I think I, I was very disappointed. Uh, not, not, disappointed. I, I, was, I was very disappointed in this. I went in with zero expectation for this sort of film. Kind of knowing the budget and where Seagal is. Well, I, I have no idea what the budget is. It's all in rubles. Uh, and even that is encoded websites. Um, but the movie for the first 15 minutes really lifted up my spirits. I really thought like this was going to be a ridiculous sort of campy movie. And then it just it was it went from campy to just dry and sort of like there was nothing. There was like two or three long set pieces of just monotonous action yeah uh and a very distressing sex scene that we didn't even get to uh really i'm almost kind of glad we didn't dwell on the sex scene because uh i really felt bad for all parties involved 
Like, and I mean, the other thing is, I've honest. heard there is a lot more of late period Seagal sex scenes that are coming our way soon. It would not be surprising for me to find out that it's a contractual obligation. Mm. <laughs> like, if I'm in this movie, I'm I'm getting it in. Well, there's one thing that I think uh, late period Seagal, or at least this movie sort of suggests, is Seagal thinks of himself as a very virile man. Yes. And any yeah. chance to uh, expand on that. Uh, obviously you can't do that through an exposition dump. You have to do it through showing the audience, uh, your hands on her body. Yeah. Uh, yeah. uh anyways, not worth checking out the first 15 minutes. You can find them on YouTube. Kind of, kind of fun. If you can find just that one line of him talking about a uh, monkey fucking a football. That Someone is must have posted that somewhere. Yeah, I can post it. <laughs> you know, I, I gotta say, I am very interested to see if like, when you guys watch something like Out for Justice, like if well, it Michael, has the same kind of appeal. Our next movie, what should it be? It should be something classic here. Out for Justice. Out for Justice? Yeah. Out for Justice. Actually, no. Uh, Above the Law. Above the, the Law? The first one. The first Seagal film. From the last to the first. Full circle. Oh, you know, I think Above the Law fan. is the one that they're doing the sequel to. Oh. Yeah. I think it's Above the Law too. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see if... Uh, like very similar thematic title, the contract to kill above the law contract. But like, it's going to be interesting to see if you guys can like see past the Sagal as a joke, you know, because I'm coming from it with an opposite perspective where he was a cool ass motherfucker. (laughs) And now I'm just like, Oh, it's weird seeing him like this because my Sagal fucks motherfuckers up. (laughs) Yeah. It's unfortunate because you are right in that. Well, I mean, it happens to any sort of celebrity that carves out a niche genre and generally their work isn't viewed in some sort of like canonical way where at a certain point they just become the SNL parody of themselves. Mm. Right. So I, which we have to do his SNL episode at some point too. Is he done an SNL? And he was banned for life afterwards. Oh <laughs> that should be next. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, no, I'll, I'll do another yeah. movie first. Uh, no, but I mean like anyone that has sort of that sort of approach to, uh, or sorry, that sort of ascension to fame, I think, is also then manacled on that descension. Because now it's like you give every schmuck like me who has a very cursory understanding of Steven Seagal basically just uh, free reign to just mock everything he does. Because my interest point is not from a place of love or respect. It's just from, uh, hey, look at that fuck. You know, like it's it just seems very, very... Uh... Uh, all right, so this has been Flock of Seagulls uh, again. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with, uh, what is it? License to Kill? No, we just watched that and it was uh, Above the Law. Above the Law. Like, what a great title. And we'll be more on message that time because probably the movie is more coherent than. Oh, it's very coherent. <laughs> Story by Seagal as well. Ooh. Mm-hmm. What if he was better if he was? Wasn't?